All right, we are back and we are live. Welcome back to a much-anticipated follow-up discussion. A little late to the game, that's my fault. You know, life takes precedence over some of these little conversations. But nonetheless, we are back and uh, tons and tons of stuff to talk about. Before we jump into it, got to uh, pour our weekend drink, have a drink with my boy. Virtual cheers, buddy. Welcome back. Hey, virtual cheers to you as well, man. It's been a uh, it's been it's been a week. <laughs> it's been a week to say uh, the least, and we didn't want to you know let down our dozens and dozens of fans over on the internet right now. And obviously, we want to provide some uh, good content while we uh, drink our uh, our beverages. What are you drinking right now? I'm on a Glenfiddich 15 year. All right. I just picked up a uh, single malt Scotch Highland region called Tully Bardeen. So it was only available online, and I decided to order it. It came in, and it's quite good. You know, a typical Highland that has a little bit of peat, you know, like that charcoal taste to it. You know, like when you're drinking an ashtray. I love scotch like that. But it's not overbearing. So it's actually uh, quite delicious, especially on a very nice and relaxing Sunday here in Montreal. What about uh, that 15-year treating you? It's good. It's not bad. It's, uh, it's a nice little smooth taste to it. No, No real bite. You know, typical to any other 15 year, I suppose. I mean, again, really nothing special. Just, uh, just trying to enjoy a nice Sunday too. It's rainy and shitty outside here in Miami. So might as well take advantage and shoot the shit about some exciting stuff going on on the ice, man. And you know, that's really an understatement because holy shit. I, I really want to pick up where we left off last time in, in our discussion on the important game in this. And this little tournament so far, and that was the Toronto Columbus game five. Um, and you know, we, we, we both guessed right on that one. And Toronto, Toronto ran out of gas in the third period. I mean, there was just no other way to put it. Columbus, Columbus stuck it to them and they moved on. And you know, we'll, we'll get to their, we'll get to their situation so far in, in the first round of the playoffs now. But once again, Toronto exits early, some sort of, I guess, playoff format, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I still say it's not playoffs, but we had that argument last time. No sense in revisiting it. They, they're home. They're watching this. I'd say they're playing golf, but they're probably not. Dude, like if there is another team in the world of professional sports that had a worse week than the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't know who it is. Here is a team over the past four years, especially here in Canada, this team was labeled uh, the blueprint, essentially. This is how you needed to construct the team, that they needed to load up on the offense. This is an offensive game. Uh, defensive secondary, third and fourth line depth is uh, secondary. Goaltending, although I, I do, and I've mentioned before, I do like their goaltender, uh, but he is not a top five. He is a top 15 at best in the league right now, but he does show some promise. But here is a team that I've been hearing for God knows how long, that they are the model and it's just going to be a matter of time before they're going to take the next step. And yet again, the Toronto Maple Leafs, whether it's the first round of the playoffs in the traditional format, or in this case, a play-in format, best of five series, they could not take it to the next stage. And frankly, good. Good. Because you know what? This was a team that was built on a foundation made of play. Because yes, you went out and you drafted Austin Matthews after sucking dick for many years and you finally got the number one overall pick. 
Years prior, you drafted Mitch Marner between third and fifth or something like that. And then you go out and then you spend the big money to go and bring John, John Tavares, pry him out of the New York Islanders, when you had no fucking business getting him in in the first place, when you already had Austin Matthews waiting in the wing. They could have easily built a contender by taking John Tavares' salary and going to get two top four defensemen to lend support to their goaltender, Frederick Anderson. And yet again, the exact same result. And now, Mike, I'm going to tell you right now, this team is even more screwed because they lost out in the play-in, so then they had a chance for the number one overall pick. Guess what? We obviously know that it went to the New York Rangers. Toronto then placed, I think, either 13th or 14th. They automatically lose that number one, uh, that number one first round draft pick. You know why? Because of the year prior that they traded Patrick Marlowe to the, uh, to the Carolina Hurricanes in a cap dump trade, and they had to tack on their first round pick, which was uh, a conditional 2020 first round draft pick, which was top 10 protected. Now that they're not drafting in the top 10, bye bye first round draft pick. It goes to Carolina. So here is a team that is literally dumb and dumber in front of us. How does a team like this rebound? Well, they went through some coaching changes, too. Let's not forget, they put a shit ton of, of hope into Babcock and what he was going to bring there, and that didn't work out. So their leadership crumbled from top down, and I agree with your assessment. Look, they dumped all their money into into the firepower without solidifying the rest of their teams defensively, and it's going to come back and bite them. And, I, you know, I can't sit here and say that, that – that in nets, they're, they're horrible, but I can't say that a top 15 goalie means anything in this league. You know, you need to, you need to have a top tier, uh, netminder to make a run through the playoffs, whether they're hot then or they, they basically just take over some momentum, um, from the regular season now, which obviously is different this go around, but I, I, I think that I'm with you. I think they're screwed for a while. They had, um, I mean, I guess with the way things all ended up, it was first round pick or nothing because I think the next pick ended up being what ninth, and there was no way they were going to get that anyway. That's correct. It would go automatically go to the bottom team, which was uh, Florida, I believe, Florida or Minnesota, I think. Like it just went to one of them, and then afterwards, based on Toronto's record and who was left out of the losers in the playing round. Uh, they, yeah, they go automatically 13th or 14th uh, for that pick. So bye-bye. Um, just to jump in and basically say as far as the coaching changes are concerned, I'm not going to pin this on Babcock because Babcock is an old-school kind of coach, and when you've surrounded the team with a bunch of babies and non-leaders, you can't get the most of them, especially when you want them to play all-around hockey. Like, this is a team that, yes, built on, on the offensive firepower, but they don't play 200-foot games. So what does – the general manager, Kyle Dubas, or Toronto do in the offseason. He makes that stupid trade with Carolina because he's desperate, desperate to unload salary cap space, so he has to use the first-round draft pick. So now that is gone. That is out of the way. They go and they trade their best two-way center, Nazem Kadri, to uh, Colorado to go and get Tyson Barry, who is leaving the team because they can't afford him anymore right now. So he got traded on a one-year deal and everything to Toronto, so he's going to be leaving right now, and then they had no defensive depth on the forward end, so like, dude, this is more than just coaching and, and goaltending, this is a whole systemic management problem with Toronto, they rolled the dice on trying to go with, you know what, we are going to, we are going to quote-unquote lose for Hughes, we're going to quote-unquote fail for nail, and stuff like that, and try to use this strategy, where they go and they pick up a kid like Austin Matthews, and surround them with zero leadership whatsoever, bring in John Tavares to essentially take his job and the captaincy away from him, where do you go from here? 
John Tavares is a full no-movement clause. Austin Matthews is in the fourth year of his contract or fourth year in the league, and he's making close to like $10 million a year. They just signed Marner to like an $11 million a year contract. They have very little wiggle room to make any significant impact right now. They're going to have to trade one of their top-tier forwards like a Nylander or potentially even a Matthews at a loss in order to alleviate some of the salary cap stress. What a disaster. What a garbage fire, Mike. Yeah, it is. And, and to compare apples to oranges here, I mean, you're basically talking about the Dallas Cowboys of hockey, right? <laughs> I you never know, made that. Good, good the, for you. It's, it's Canada's team, right? I mean, that's, that's the, that, that's the pitch. I mean, TSN, the Toronto Sports Network, the equivalent of ESPN, right? I mean, all of it revolves around this team and this team hasn't had any success. They're constantly under the microscope. They're given all of the media and the coverage and, and all of the hype year in and year out and, and they keep falling flat on their face. So look, I agree. I think that, uh, from a management perspective, it has to come from the top down. They're going to have to make moves in order to free up some space. But I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the next two to three seasons, they just, you know, they, they don't do anything shocking. They bite the bullet. They eat the, they eat the shit from the media and they try to figure out a game plan when they have a little bit more cap space, when they have a little bit more age under the skates of some of their more expensive players and they can, they can part ways with those contracts. And then, you know, who knows? They'll be in a position where they have some money to play with. And they go out and they, they, they try to do something else, which they're all, which ultimately they will fuck up too. So it's, it's an exciting team to watch in the sense that, you know, you, you hear all the hype, but you know the truth. And the truth is, is that they're, they're, they're garbage franchise from top to bottom. Um, they're, they're, they haven't raised a cup in God knows forever. Uh, they're the mecca of, of the Canadian hockey market, which is really horrible. Yeah, by, by accident. It's not because of the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's the fact that Toronto is the largest city in Canada and uh, has a very big spotlight on it. This is like, okay, you know, if the Toronto Maple Leafs ran like the city of Toronto, I think they would be in a very, uh, you know, better situation that they're currently in right now because it's like night and day in this fucking country. Like, seriously, it really is when it comes to this team that they just everything, everything that would happen that they was like automatically planning the parade at like the beginning of fucking training camp or crying out loud. They've been doing this for years, for eons. But even so, Mike, you're, you're talking about, okay, taking a step back and everything. Like, dude, they got 33, between 33 and $36 million a year in salary cap tied into three players. And three players that are on your first line. That's it. Like, come on, man. You want to talk about poor management. This is something that's going to take not a season or two seasons. It's going to take some serious maneuvering in the short term or basically biting the bullet for a long time before you're actually going to see their fortunes change. Because this is the lowest of the low, in my honest opinion. And you know what? For me, as a Montreal Canadiens fan and as, and, and as, a, as a pure hockey uh, like strategist as far as bringing balance to a team, you have to have a structured defense. You have to have fucking A1 goaltending and everything like that. They completely missed the mark, and history has shown it. History has shown it that if you're going to go all flash, all sizzle, and no steak and everything like that, you're not going to make it. Okay, we saw it with the Rangers in the 90s when they went with Lindros and Bore and all these other fucking clowns. Where did it take them? And you're seeing it right now with the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Maple Laughs. All right, they are the Maple Laughs, and I could not be happier. Yeah, and that's 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 really the way to look at it. They are a joke, and 
I, I don't know. I don't know what the future has in store for them. And frankly, look, I'm with you. I don't give a shit. I'm just excited to see constantly people uh, give them the credit that they have not deserved and fall flat on their face with their assessments. So to hell with that team, to hell with everything that they've done. They are they are a garbage dump and a stomping ground for Canadian hockey, in my opinion. And you're right. They, they, they do resemble the Rangers from, you know, the early 2000s where they spent all this money and brought in all this washed up talent and then got stuck with that by giving up all these picks. And it basically jeopardized their whole future. But let's talk about the now New York Rangers and their future. Mm. Looks pretty promising. Got to say, uh, I'm a little happy, a yeah. little shocked, but I'm a little happy. Honestly, dude, very happy for you. I was happy that it did not go to Toronto or Florida or uh, even in Edmonton that has had so many number one overall draft picks over the years. And we're talking about Taylor Hall and obviously Connor McDavid and Neil Yakupov and uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I'm like, enough already. You know, like, I really didn't want to see Edmonton pull it off. As far as for the Rangers are concerned, well, you guys are sitting pretty right now. And I don't know if you guys are actually going to be selecting first. I'm wondering if they're actually going to look what's out there. I know that there was a team that was really dead set on getting Alexis Lafreniere, who is the projected number one overall pick out of the QMJHL in the Quebec League, playing for, uh, for, uh, for Ramuski. But, uh, yeah, like this kid, he was on the radar for uh, the Ottawa Senators. And now we know that they are drafting third and fifth. Uh, the third uh, pick is uh, from the San Jose Sharks in the, in, the, in the Carlson deal from a couple of years back. So there was something that was floated around, Mike, and I want to pick your brain on this. Would you trade down or trade the number one overall pick to Ottawa for the third and fifth pick and a roster player? from the Ottawa Senators. What are your thoughts on something like that? I would say yes, only because we need help in the center and not on the wings. And Lapanyad, as as much hype as this kid has, um, an immediate impact on whatever team he goes to, he's going to be a winger. And I think from the Rangers' perspective, I mean, you got to look at, you know, they, they made a phenomenal pick last year in, in, in what I could arguably say is going to be the most static and consistent player probably from last year's draft in, in Capo. This is a guy that won't light the house on fire every night, but he will show up to play and he'll play for 60 minutes. And I saw that this season. I saw that in whatever the first part of the season had to bring. And you saw shades of that in this, you know, in their three game debacle against Carolina. But I think that from a strategic perspective, if they can load up on additional pieces of the puzzle, it might, it, it might be worth considering hearing an offer from somebody like Ottawa. Now, what does Ottawa have to offer? That's the question. I mean, is it worth it for them to go after um, an Anisimov or one of their top guys? I mean, just to basically add some fuel to the fire and, and make sure that they don't get shit on for, get, for giving up that number one pick. Let's not forget. I mean, we talked and we joked about the Canadians not having a pick in 40 years. It's been 55 years since the New York Rangers had first overall pick. Okay. Andre Villiers. A man who was drafted in 1965, first overall by the New York Rangers, never played a minute. Never played. Wow. A he played from 1965 to 1966 for the Trois Rivières Red in in the Quebec Juniors. Never made it to the dance. Well, that's obviously poor scouting on your part. 
poor scouting, but I mean, again, you, you know, it, it kind of proves the, the, the argument we were making last time that the first overall pick doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? It's a yeah, roll yeah. of the dice just like everything else. Well, and, that's it. And we were talking about that. And, you know, like I was, I was taking a look at the records and everything like that. And in the last 30 years, like name me, name me the Stanley Cup champions from the number one overall draft picks from the last 30 years. I'm going to give you a hit. There's five. So the team that had the first overall pick that won the cup? Yeah. Like, name me the players, uh, like, uh, the, the players that have been selected number one overall in the last 30 years. So from 1990 up until 2020. Well, 2020 draft hasn't happened yet. Okay, up until 2019. And name me all the players that have won the Stanley Cup. In 30 years. I, I mean, I would have to look up a list of all the number one draft picks. Um, yeah. If I had to I, guess, I'd say that Marc-Andre Fleury's on that list. Yeah, yeah. Yes. That's uh, one. Oof. Um, Four more, Mike. Sidney Crosby was number one. Yes. But he was also yes. number one in the lockout year. So do you count oh. that? Yes, of course. He was, he was selected number one overall. Regardless okay. of who was the worst team, it doesn't matter at this point. It's irrelevant. The players who were selected number one overall that won the Stanley Cup in the last 30 years, there are five. So you've already named two, Marc-Andre Fleury and Sidney Crosby. There are three more. Ovechkin? Yes. I don't know if Taves was picked number one, was he? He wasn't, but you're go- you're getting warmer. Okay, Patrick Kane then. That's right. So four, and there's one left. One left. He was the captain, then they stripped him of the captaincy, and then they gave him the captaincy again. Vinny LeCavalier. Going and highlighting the whole point, because I got into a serious argument with a buddy of mine that I went to high school with. And he's like, ah, oh, the Canadians, you know, they should have went for the chance to go and get Lafreniere. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Like, are you serious? We are actually seeing the guys that we have invested our time and all these painstaking years into sucking and drafting white talent, and they're developing before our very eyes. And I'm talking about the Nick Suzuki's and the Jesperi Kakanyemi's and everything. They had a fantastic series against Pittsburgh, and so far they're playing extremely well against Philadelphia. So I would much rather have the current team that I have and the youth that we have to develop and have a culture of winning than taking a chance on a guy that has never played an NHL game in his entire life currently. Now, if the Canadians would have sucked and shit the bed against Pittsburgh, okay, okay, so we go, we get Lafreniere, great, okay, this is what we're going to focus on. But people need to put that to bed right now. But also people need to put not so, not to put too much reliance on, hey, if I get the number one overall pick, well, that automatically means I am gonna, uh, I'm gonna win the Stanley Cup. That is false. That is a false no, equivalent. Okay, fine, fine, fine. I agree with you and I like your, I, I like your let's, let's take a trip down memory lane on, on the first overall pick. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sweeten the pot for you, okay? Instead of winning the Cup, how many of these first overall picks actually won the Calder Trophy? Uh, okay. Do you have this list in front of you? Because I don't know automatically. I but, do. Uh, Okay, so I'm thinking Ovechkin. I think he was he won Rookie of the Year, didn't he? He did. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Stamkos win. I don't know. I think Austin Matthews won. I'll just yeah. run through the list, okay? Because sure. a lot of these names, you know, they're 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 household names. But again, on teams that really haven't done anything, right? So you got Austin Matthews, the most recent in 2016 for the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Ekblad for the Panthers. Yep. Nathan McKinnon for the Avs, Patrick mm-hmm. Kane won it, Ovechkin yeah. won it, and then way back in 1995, Brian Ber- uh, Berard won it. 
wow, what a big drop-off. So it was like a 10-year drop or a 10 or 15-year drop-off. Before Ovechkin, Brian Burrard was the last number one overall draft pick to win Rookie of the Year. Holy crap. Yeah, and there was a there was some pretty hefty talent in that in that gap, too. I mean, you have Joe Thornton, you have LeCavalier, you have yeah. uh, DiPietro. Remember Rick DiPietro? Uh, <laughs> Ilya Kovalchuk is on that list. He was drafted number one overall by Atlanta, the Thrashers oh. at the time. Rick Nash is on that list. Uh oh. Sidney Crosby's on that list. He didn't win. I mean, yeah. but again, you're talking about that that weird year where there was technically two rookies, right? I mean, Ovechkin and Crosby were both rookies that year. True, because of the lockout, he didn't play in his rookie year until the year afterwards. Ah, Ovechkin point. got drafted first, and then yeah. there was the lockout, so Ovechkin didn't play his rookie year until Crosby did. True, and then Ovechkin had yeah, and Ovechkin yeah. had the better rookie season, obviously because. Listen, at the time, Washington didn't have anybody, so they threw him on on the first line, whereas they were bringing Sidney Crosby along, third-line center. They brought Sydney, uh, they brought uh, Mary Lemire back, of course. They just, okay, let's take the jersey out of the rafters. <laughs> You're going back in, Super Mario. That was a good yeah. time. Oh, the, the, the last hurrah. But, uh, yeah, man, good point. Like, uh, that's it. There's no sure thing. There is no there sure thing. So, if you're asking my opinion on what New York should do, again, you got to uh, – Dallas just tied the game with two minutes left. Wow, really? Nice. Uh, Dallas and Calgary are playing right now. So, um, anyway, look, bottom line is, man, I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they have the pressure to go with the number one overall pick. Again, because, you know, the number one overall pick brings a lot more to to, to the team and to the morale than just the actual player, right? I mean, it's, right. it's, it's a sign, you know, it's a sign that, you know, you're, you're in primary position to, to, to start the process of rebuilding. Now, the advantage that New York has compared to a lot of these other teams in the recent past, um, that, that have had the number one overall pick is that New York is not in full blown, uh, rebuild mode. They have a lot of key pieces and they've done a lot of maneuvering and they got a lot of young kids that they can fall on with a lot of hefty talent behind them and leadership, mind you, that they can, that they can ride a number one overall pick with and he doesn't have to be in the spotlight. He doesn't have to win the Calder to, to be effective on that team. And I think that if they do decide to pull the trigger on him, uh, I mean, you know, look, they got a lot of talent on the wings and something's going to have to give, but that also gives some trade bait. Um, to possibly go, you know, go after somebody else and possibly even in, in the draft. We've seen a lot of moves in, in the draft in recent years due to the, to the CBA and the way it's constructed. So, um, I don't know. All exciting things. I mean, it's, 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 it softens the blow for going out 3-0. Uh, that's for damn sure. But the truth is, I mean, look, you know, uh, we don't know what next year is going to look like anyway. So who knows what this first overall pick could mean. It could be a similar situation to the Crosby Ovechkin era where, you know, you're going to have to deal with a few rookies to, 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 to fight in the same playing year, um, based on the uncertainty of what the 21, uh, the, the, the 2021 season is going to bring. Cause I'll, I'll tell you this right now. They're not going to play a full season in a fucking bubble. No way. But, uh, who knows? You know, like the NHL did a good job of figuring something out on the fly with this. Who's to say they can't expand on it? I have no idea, but still, like, that's way down the line. But getting back to the whole draft pick, and I, I honestly think that you guys are in a very good position right now to, uh, to at least entertain the thought of trading out of that. Because you had mentioned already, you've got Capo Caco, who was coming along nicely. You already have Panarin, who is the, you know, I, I would say the face of the franchise, now that Lundquist is going to be, you know, like leaving and taking his, uh, his leave. It's, it's unofficial now. But, 
You know, like for someone like Lafreniere and everything, and you're right, it brings a certain prestige. This is why I see a team like Ottawa. Ottawa is so starved right now for a superstar, a face of the franchise that they could put on the posters and everything like that. Because here's a team that is like really garbage, like as a professional franchise and as uh, from a marketing standpoint, uh, from a fan engagement standpoint, like they never sell out any of the games. You know, they're in the middle of nowhere. They need to get a new arena and... You know what? There's, I mean, look, look, look. Let's 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 clarify that for a second, okay? So you're talking about a team that's smack dab in the middle of both Toronto and Montreal, which are arguably the two bigger franchises in Canada, yeah. um, from a success perspective and a media perspective. The capital of Canada is Ottawa, so you're dealing with a bunch of government um, government regulatory people that are in and around that city anyway. It's the the advantage for 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 them with a player like La Paniere would be that it's proximity to Quebec. And I think exactly. that that's going to gain a lot of, a lot of stature, a lot of uh, media and a lot of marketing play that they can, they can ultimately utilize. But let's look exactly. at the, let's just look at the Rangers on, on both wings, left wing, they have Panarin and then they have Kreider as their top two the right wing. They have Pavel Buchnevich and then you have Capo Caco as the top two. You're not going to put a kid, you draft number one overall on the third line or fourth oh. line. Of course not. Well, that's it. Like that's really the whole thing is that you're 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 basically forcing your hand. But you essentially said it's like what you need is center depth and what you need is defense. So you know what? I think that it it, it actually works out to the benefit of both teams right now because if Ottawa is really desperate for that superstar, and especially because there is a very good uh, Quebecois contingency in Ottawa in Gatineau, and the fact remains is you know what for a guy who's like from here from Quebec to be close to Quebec. And, you know, like cutting his teeth over in Ottawa, I think it would be beneficial for Ottawa to at least entertain that. Now, it's not going to come cheap. No fucking way. If you're holding on to the number one overall pick and you got the third and the fifth, well, you're including that in any kind of trade discussion, especially if you're going to move up and make this guy the face of your franchise. So I think the Rangers are in an extremely amazing situation, but I think they would be in a much better situation drafting third and fifth, especially in a ridiculously deep draft. Mike, well, there are so yeah, many that, great talented players. The fact that you could snag two in the top five by giving up the number one pick, I would highly think about it. I yeah. really would. And, you know, our discussions over the past few weeks have all indicated on how deep this draft is. And if there's any year to make a move like that, now would be the year. And, you know, forget about the hype that this kid has. But, you know, look, the Rangers have fucked this up in the past, too. Let's not forget about that. I mean, they're, they, they've, they've had opportunities and they've, they've made really piss poor decisions due to their management. I'm confident in their management this year based on some of the moves that they've made recently. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see if they, if it follows suit and we'll see if they have the same mind state that you have. But, you know, by the way, while all this was, while all this discussion was going on, Dallas's goal was disallowed. And now they're, they're in an empty net scenario with less than a minute to go fighting, fighting to even this series. All right. So it's currently, uh, what's the series now? It's 2-1? It's 2-1 for Calgary. And let's, let's use this opportunity to segue right into what's going on in the actual playoffs. So welcome to playoff hockey, buddy. Cheers to that. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. It's been three harrowing years without any kind of playoff hockey, but. Well, it's 2020. We're living in COVID times, and I'm watching an actual great series in the oh, month of August. They just tied it with 11 seconds. Get out of here! Are you serious? Holy yeah. shit! And I'm this game right now. I'm like, pretty much, I'm only going to be locked in to watch the Habs and the, and the Flyers at eight o'clock. But uh, damn, man, this is uh, this Jekyll and Hyde Habs team. 
seriously, like, I don't know what to make of it, but I am down to have a really big discussion with you regarding what they did against Pittsburgh and wrapping up the series. And so far, what they've been able to do uh, against the Philadelphia Flyers, even with their coach having a uh, chest procedure surgery, they put a stent into his aorta and they sent him back into Montreal because he had uh, chest pains. He was uh, complaining of chest pains after game one. Uh, in which they lost two to one. So I don't know if it was directly related to the actual game or the result. But then the Canadians came back in game two. My God, Mike, that was the best game that I had seen the Montreal Canadiens play from start to finish in over a decade. Five nothing. Two goals from Thomas Tatar. Two goals from just Barry Kakeniemi. Everything went right in that game from top to bottom. Everything went wrong for the Philadelphia Flyers from top to bottom. Unreal. I am as shocked as you are. I don't know if you saw the game. What do you think? I didn't see the game. And, you know, again, uh, I apologize. I mean, the last week was a little nuts with, with traveling and, and, and just doing other things than, than trying to prepare myself for this discussion. So I did not see the game. So my input is going to be limited to what I'm only able to see after the fact. So here's what sure. I do know. They, they, they worked miracles against Pittsburgh. You have elaborated on that. So much so. Um, Philly ended up finishing first, which was part of our last discussion as well. So they, they drew the, they drew a red hot team. They came out and they showed them why they finished first in game one. Now Montreal bounced back, came back, won game two, um, in unbelievable fashion. As you mentioned, the best game you've probably ever seen in, in, in the better part of the last 10 years. So the question I have though, is yeah. is this a team that's built for a playoff run? Is this a team that is designed to run the gauntlet of possibly seven game stretches all the way up to the conference finals or the Stanley Cup finals? You know, you beat a team like Pittsburgh in pretty decisive fashion. I'm sorry, hang on. The uh, the Dallas goal is under review due to an offside. Yeah, are they going to overturn this again? That I don't would really think so. I don't think so, but they're showing the play and they're about to make the – yeah, they allowed the goal. Okay. Yeah, good. Uh, Pavelski, Pavelski had a hat trick, by the way. Yeah, dude, that guy's been on fire, man. That guy is he's – he's a playoff gamer. But getting back to the whole thing you're talking about, do they have the pieces or do they have the fuel to make a significant run? Well, listen, man, we've had conversations like this in the past as it relates to, you know, bottom feeder teams that make it into the playoffs. On the last week, uh, you know, like the Los Angeles Kings, like they're, they're a perfect example of what comes to mind. Here's a team that came in eighth place and, you know, they, they just caught on fire. They caught on fire at the right time. Uh, Jonathan Quick was playing some of the best goaltending that we have seen, especially in the playoffs. And we've seen a lot of playoff hockey when, when you just locked in and dialed in. Uh, defense came together. They were scoring and they were getting mostly, uh, production from their third and their fourth lines as well. Uh, if we're talking about the recipe of success for a team that catches on fire and everything like that, they pretty much hit the mark right now because you got Kerry Price, who is currently sitting on a 9.53 save percentage. He had a shutout in the last game. He had two shutouts so far in these playoffs. Uh, you got just Barry Kotkaniemi, who has scored four goals in these playoffs so far. Second-year center for the Canadians. He is playing currently on the second line. You got Nick Suzuki, the kid who was involved in the Max Pacioretty trade, who's currently anchored on their first line. Uh, Philip Deneau, who is a fantastic two-way center, now currently on their, on their third line. You, you have the guys exactly where they need to be playing. 
I have maintained this, and I've said this in the past, that although I love to love the no, I will only take the Montreal Canadiens seriously once they are confirmed number one, number two for their centers, and they have Philip Deneau playing his natural position as your third line center. They have Max Domi operating kind of like a Claude Lemure from like back in the day, that fucking asshole, that prick and everything that has some skill that can actually produce and add and contribute, but a guy that you can move in up and down the lineup, especially for guys on the top two lines who are dragging at a pure energy guy. You have, oh my God, you know, like the Montreal Canadiens, back in the day, we had the big three, right? With Larry Robinson, Serge Savard, and, and Guy Lapointe. I'm not saying that they're the big three right now, but you have Shea Weber, Ben Sherratt, and Jeff Petrie playing lights out defense currently. We have Brett Kulak, who is playing way above his fucking stature right now as the number four defenseman. You have a team that is playing extremely defensively responsible. They are fast. They are the first one on the puck. They are finishing their checks. They are defending their goaltender. They are making life a living hell for Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, and Jacob Borchek. And I'll have to go back to what you said about game one, where you said that they showed exactly why they were the number one team. They did not, Mike. Mike, they had a very good first period, but Montreal showed in game one that they can hang with this team. So whether they're riding this, whether they're riding the vibrate or they're riding, they're riding the momentum of trying to win one for Claude Julien, whatever you want to call it is in the cosmos. Here is a team that if they continue to play the way that they are playing, they will find success more times than they are not. So am I saying that they have the talent level of a Boston or Washington or New York or, or the Islanders or Colorado? They don't. But what this team is showing, a lot of fucking heart and a lot of fucking balls. And these are guys that are who have been given a role and they're playing up to that role and to that standard. I don't know where this came from. I'm just going to chalk this up to another 2020 thing or another 2020-ism. But, bro, I am just going to fucking roll with it. I'm just happy to be here. Well, <laughs> look, I mean, just sit back and enjoy the ride, man, because that's what I'm doing. Know, I, I and rightfully so. Listen, you know, it's an exciting team to watch right now. There's no doubt about that. They have, again, nothing to fucking lose and only everything to gain. So why yeah. the hell not? Why not make a run for it? We've said this countless times on this podcast. So let, let them just do what they got to do. Let's go out and have fun. Let's make it enjoyable for the fans. The one thing that I will tell you that they have a massive disadvantage on is their seeding. And no matter where they place themselves, they will always play the number one seed in each round. So yeah. burn out the gaslight, do whatever you got to do to get through to the next round, but it's not going to get any easier. Well, maybe it will because we're starting to see that other teams that, that are lower seeded uh, are really making uh, uh, some serious noise in their respective series as well. And, you know, again, I don't want to, I don't want to spend all the whole time talking about Montreal. It's a great story. Um, but let's move on, man. Let's go, let's jump to the, to the exciting one, I suppose. The, the, the Lightning and the Blue Jacket series. I mean, for fuck's sake, game one, five overtimes. I mean, I don't care what you think about playoff hockey or what, you know, if you know what hockey is, you have five overtimes in a game and on the ice. I mean, the, the minute that last goal is scored, shit, dude, oh. you're, you're, you're through the roof. Good, like the records that were shattered in that game. First and foremost, uh, Carp- uh Carposalo, the goalie for uh, Columbus. Yo, I took my hat off to you, man. He had 85 saves. NHL record now. He smashed Kelly Rudy's record of, I believe, 78 
but going back to like uh, the mid to late eighties or something like that, dude, he, he was the only guy that was keeping Columbus in that game. Him and Seth Jones, Seth Jones played 60 minutes. The dude logged 60 minutes of ice time in that game, the three overtimes and the five periods of uh, overtime as well. And like, dude, Columbus had nothing left. They really didn't. It was honestly just a matter of time for Tampa Bay. And here's a team, Tampa Bay, last year, number one. Uh, they were the best team in the regular season, President's Cup trophy. They're going to roll over Columbus, yada, yada, yada. What happened? They got their fucking shit served to them. Four straight bouts out of the playoffs. So you know, you know Tampa Bay has been circling this for, for uh, since, since last year. So I think Tampa, like now, I think they're up, what, two games to one? They are, currently. Yeah. yeah, I think, like, dude, after Columbus loses a game like that, and granted, yeah, they did come back in game two and they won the game. Dude, that takes a lot out of you. That it takes does, a lot. It does, but I think that we both made our points with Tortorella last time, and I'm not, I'm not dismissing this team at all. Not yet. No fucking way. Um, not in the position of this tournament, not under the circumstances that they went through against Toronto, the homes, the, 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 the host of this tournament. Um, I am not counting that team out one bit. I think tomorrow is going to be obviously a very decisive game. It's a huge game determining if you either tie this up and make it a best of three or you go down three one and it's a do or die for the rest of the show. But I, I, I really have a lot of confidence in what Tortorella brings to the locker room, as we pointed out last time. And I'm not counting this team out by any means. Yeah, I agree, man. Like, listen, Portorella is always going to have his team prepared to the game. And no matter what, if you're going up against a John Tortorella uh, coach team, you're going to take some licks. You're going to take some bruises because this team plays hard. I just feel that Tampa, I think that they, they really have something to prove. And I think they need to prove it to themselves against Columbus. And I think that's what the, I think that's what's going to be the difference maker in this series. So I'm, I'm still, I'm going to go with Tampa in this one uh, for, uh, for like the rest of the way and stuff like that. I, I honestly think that they do have the pieces to overcome Columbus, but it's going to be a dog fight. That's definitely, but what yeah. really surprised, but you know what, even though like we're kind of, we were looking at this matchup, we, we were saying that this team was going to cause a defensive nightmare for whoever they're going to draw. Mike, you are absolutely right. New York Islanders right now against the Washington Capitals. Holy shit. They're already up now three games to nothing. You know that Barry Trotz has been licking his chops and really wanted to fucking make an example out of the Washington Capitals in this one. Dude, it's just a hockey clinic, like game in and game out with the Islanders against the Capitals. If you're the Capitals, how do you, how, how do you come back into this series? Well, listen, I think that Barry Trotz is the forefront of this matchup. And it's not every day that a coach wins the Stanley Cup and then bounces, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, he doesn't agree with everything that's happened. He just brought that town its first Stanley Cup and says, I'm out. So this is personal for him. I think he has a lot to prove that they, they fucked up when they didn't, they didn't come to terms and, and be on the same page with his style after he brought them a cup. And that was problems that were brewing well before the end of the season. I mean, we're all aware of that at this point. But what he's been able to do with the Islanders, and again, I'm speaking from the goggles of, of someone that, that absolutely hates that team and everything about it. Um, Lee came out in game one and set the, set the tone. He basically, he, he, he threw his weight around. He caused a shit storm and basically riled up. Guys like Carlson, guys that, that are very easy to, to get under their skin and throw them off their game. And if they don't control that little pesterness, 
that, that peskiness attitude, then they fall flat on their face. And we're seeing Washington fall flat on their face now. And I think that New York, in, in whatever capacity they have, they're just going out and they're playing their hockey. They're not fucking around. They're not subjecting themselves to Ovechkin and, and TJ Oshie and, and, and the, the fact that they are a powerhouse of a team. And nope, they don't care. Fuck them. This is our time. This is our bubble. We're going to sit here. We're going to play our game and you're going to fucking sit there and try to, try to combat that. And it's worked. They got lucky today with the overtime victory because in my opinion, overtime is always a coin flip. It's just the bounce of the puck being in the right place at the right time. But nonetheless, three games to zero. New York's moving on. Washington's going home. That's my prediction. So basically, yeah. So if the Canadians were to pull up the miracle over like the Philadelphia Flyers, we could potentially see an Islanders versus Boston or Carolina matchup to go into the second round. But obviously, it's a little too early to say that. But, yo, man, Boston and Carolina, they have their own sense of drama currently. Uh, where do you want to start, like, to talk about this series? So much happened last game, before last game, uh, even from, from the beginning with uh, Pasternak getting injured, and he hasn't played since game, uh, since game one, since the opener when they did win. Tuka Rask decided, he made a, he made a decision and he decided that he was going to take family over his job currently, so he left the bubble. Uh, personally, I think that's a good thing for Boston, especially if your goaltender's head is not in it. Well, I think it would be best to get him out of there because if there is a position that is uh, ridiculously cerebral and something where you need to be engaged and not be distracted, goaltender is that position. But you know what? In my opinion, they have the best back of goaltender in the league in Yaroslav Halak, who completely slides right in. He's already earned the confidence of his team. They managed to pull off the victory. But, of course, like the Boston Bruins, in typical Boston Bruins fashion, have to take the advantage by playing the fucking dirt shit game. And what I'm talking about is, like, listen, I got no love for the Carolina Hurricanes as a hockey fan and as a Canadians fan because the Canadians and the Hurricanes have a little bit of a rivalry going on. But I respect the guys like Aho and Shveshnikov and everything. But, man, dude, what Zidane O'Chara did yesterday, fuck you, dude. Fuck you, man. Like, you play this fucking bullshit game and you slew-footed that poor kid and he got off balance and he snapped his ankle and guess what? He is not playing hockey for the rest of the series. No fucking way. I wouldn't even be surprised if, the, if Carolina moves on that he's not gone for the rest of the playoffs. I don't know if you saw it, but dude, bullshit. Bullshit, bullshit. Well, I mean, it just it, it adds to an extremely long list of, of Chara's rem, resume. And, you know, let's let's start in one place here. Let's start with goaltending because Boston, for whatever reason, has had a track record of this. Now, we've spoken about this well before the bubble started. If a player yeah. wants to opt out because of family issues or because they had a kid and this is typically their off season and they're fucking entitled to, to be with their family just like anybody else, then God damn it, you can't blame them. And I don't blame Tuka Rask. I just hope that this doesn't turn into a Tim Thomas scenario. And I know what that, you mean. Because that would definitely shade some, some questions on, on, on how this franchise treats their goaltenders. And I think Tuka Rask is a huge reason for Boston's success. I agree with you. I think Halak is going to step in and fill the shoes nicely. We've seen what he's done over the years, both in a starting role and as a replacement when the starter goes down and filling the roles of a, of, of the number one goalie. Um, I don't know if that team can ultimately be the same. So speaking and ending that particular topic of the discussion, I think that Tuka Rask is in his every right to do what he did. 
I wish him and his family all the best with their newborn. And who knows what's going to happen coming into the into the next season, whenever it starts in December. But mark my words, he'll be back and he'll be ready to play. Do you think he played his last game for Boston? Do you think the team welcomes him back? Because, listen, I, I agree with you 110%. Believe me, I got into arguments with people up online yesterday, especially even uh, Montreal media sports members, too, as well, that, uh, you know, uh, what, his family just uh, appeared in the bubble while he was in the bubble or anything like that. This is why he makes a decision like this. He's leaving his other family. I'm like, dude, they're not fighting the fucking war in Normandy right now. This is not Iwo Jima. It's a fucking game. For crying out loud. Now, we don't know all the circumstances behind this and everything. It could be, you know, something dire happened. But according to a lot of people, oh, you leave your, you leave your team on game day. I'm like, no, the announcement was made on game day. I'm pretty sure Puka Rask and the team had a discussion beforehand and they approached this like adults. And then they basically said, okay, man, for what's best for the team, what's best for you and everything, go back home, take care of your family. We got this. But we still have people that have that antiquated uh, mentality that, oh, you left us high and dry. How are we supposed to trust you again? So here's the reality, Mike. Tuka Rask has one year left on his contract. Uh, he's, he's making decent salary, and he is a gamer. There are teams out there that could use a goaltender of his magnitude like uh, or his track record. Edmonton is a team that comes to mind, in my opinion. So... Do you think the Boston team, the Bruins, their brass, their uh, asshole cheerleader fans are currently in the media right now, like Mike Milbury, who shit all over him on NBC because you don't know shit and everything like that? Do you actually think that with Boston and the way in their fucking mentality is that they're going to welcome Tuka Rask back? I hope they do the right thing because, again, listen, <laughs> this is August, okay? August is not hockey time. So nine months ago, when Tuka Rask was planning his family – he did so in order to have a child in the offseason, have the ability to spend time with that child in the offseason. Even if that timing was off and it hit the first part of the season or the tail end of the season, he still had the opportunity to play home games in Boston where he could be with his family. This is not that same scenario. He is locked in a – he's basically a prisoner in this bubble. He can't exactly. leave. He can't do anything. Now, as a – proud new father myself, fuck you. You want to have that kind of attitude? I'm gone. Think whatever you want. Do whatever you want. This was not something that anybody planned. I did my job. I planned my family accordingly, according to my career. My wife bought into that. My children brought into that. This is the time where these guys are basically told to have their families and live their lives off the ice. He did that. He abided by it. It's not his fault why they're having this fucking tournament in August. Oh, man. Like, thank you. You just nailed everything there, especially from your perspective of you being a new father, too, as well, uh, let, let alone Tuka Rask, who has a very young family right now. And like I mentioned before, why are so many people passing judgment on something where we don't even know all of the details? And these details are none of our fucking business to begin with. This is a man's private life. And because of this extremely unique circumstance and everything, I felt that he was at odds to do this, but he felt based on the whole thing of the rah, 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 and let's be a team and let's do this and everything. Like, honestly, man, like things could have been going downhill for like the past week, phone calls and I need you to come home. I need you to come home. Like, who knows? Like if we're dealing with family, we're dealing with 
you know, a lot of stress that has been going on, especially in this pandemic time right now. People are affected by this. Look, these guys are entitled to have their their lives off the ice, and they're told when to do that. And he abided by that. So for, for anybody to pass judgment based on this particular scenario, we made the argument several times over. Why the fuck are they even having this bubble? Why? To live out some fucking TV contract that they probably won't get or they'll get at a discount next year. It's all about the money for the league. He tried to get through it. But the truth is, you know, after reevaluating the situation and especially what's going on right now, you got to prioritize, you got to prioritize things in your own life. And he did that. And my tip of the cap to him. And before this bubble even started, when we were analyzing the start of all sports, we basically came to the conclusion that anybody, anybody in any sport that made that decision based on the shit that's going on now and the, and the, and the, and the, and the Frankenstein fucking leagues that these assholes are trying to put together in order to get through a season, you know what? They're entitled to make those decisions, and we're not going to hold that against them at all. So good, good luck, Tuca. Be a happy dad. I hope you'll sit there, and I hope I hope you watch Boston either fall on their face and you laugh, or I hope you root for them, and you know it'll give you a leg to stand on to possibly be in nets for that team next year. As far as next year goes for that team, I'm not even going to even I'm not going to dive into that at this point. It's too early. Fair enough. Like that's basically it. But, yeah, as far as the actual game is concerned, you know, Yaroslav Halak, he came in. He had a very good game last game. But, honestly, the big topic, uh, the, the topic of the day, the topic du jour and everything is, once again, sneaky fuck Zdeno Chara, this guy who thinks he can hide in plain sight, pulling off a fucking bullshit like that. I don't even know if you saw the fucking tweet from Jim Edwards or Jack Edwards, sorry, that piece of shit fucking play-by-play announcer for Nesson the biggest homer in all of fucking professional sports broadcasting and everything. He basically says, oh, uh, because Svechnikov was uh, draping over him like uh, like a curtain behind the net, that's what, happened, that's what happens when you poke the bear. And, like, this fucking idiot is following the game, and he doesn't realize that it wasn't even Svechnikov, it was Aho that was trying to neutralize fucking Chara behind the bench or behind the net, sorry. And, like, come on, man. Like, when you see this crap like this, especially from Chara and especially – you know, like me as a Canadian fan, seeing what he did to fucking Pacioretty when he skated from the other side of the fucking rink to go and zero in on him and throw him into the stanchion and almost fucking break this guy's face and everything. That was disgusting. And this guy keeps getting away with it and keeps on getting away with it. I, I don't get it. I don't well, get it. How, I mean, I listen, get- let's and again, I really don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this asshole because he's at the tail end of his career. We all know that. And, you know, he was a freak of nature in this league, and he has been for God knows how long. But, you know, I mean, you're talking about quite possibly the largest talent to ever to ever put on skates. And, you know, he has a massive advantage against, uh, I, I mean, any player for that matter, but let alone a sport where you don't have to be 6'3", 240 pounds to be successful. Small guys can be very successful in hockey because of the way the game is played. And, you know, the guy, he, 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 he tries to be that role of enforcer due to his size. And I, I mean, look, sometimes he, he, he pushes the boundaries on that. And we saw it with Pacioretty. I mean, that was a disgusting hit. In fact, I think the Montreal police investigated that hit, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people in town called 911. You better not let this guy leave, but we were pissed. Yeah, we but that, were, was, that, that should have never happened. That's bullshit. But anyway, look, the bottom line is, I mean, the guy gets away with, with, with a lot of shit that he shouldn't get away with. I don't know if the league's going to come down with any sort of uh, ramifications on that. 
Um, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I mean, it's, it's, it's his MO at this point, dude. I mean, he is that, that tough son of a bitch that nobody has the balls to square up against. And, ooh, ooh, Calgary almost won it. Um, he, I mean, nobody has the balls to square up with him. And, you know, when, when, when he, when they get under his skin, he starts doing sh- uh, stupid shit like that. And when he does shit like that, dude, I mean, it's like, it's the Jolly Green Giant approach. Well, that's it. You gotta like kill him with kindness, basically, because if you keep on quote unquote poking the bear, this guy is capable of snapping your ankle or breaking your arm and stuff like that. Like this guy's a golem for crying out loud. You know, like that's it. So at the end of the day, like you just gotta play good, effective hockey. I gotta tell you the truth, man. I can't wait for this fucking guy to retire. I can't wait for this guy to retire because then these assholes like Marshawn who take liberties with fucking people afterwards. Knowing full well that Chara's right there to go and clean their clock if they get out of line. I can't wait for this bodyguard to be gone and done with because then Marsha, they're going to come for your ass, bud. They're going to come for your fucking ass. I swear to God. So, like, that's it. At the end of the day, I'm so sick and tired of fucking Boston and the Bruins and their piece of shit fucking fans and everything. Like, honestly, I really hope, as much as I don't like Carolina and I think that they're a very dangerous team, the fact is, is that I want them to beat the Bruins, but I don't see much left out of Carolina now that Sveshnikov is out. No well, fucking way. We don't know about that just quite yet. I mean, they still have a lot of youth talent. We've, we've touched on that. We've discussed that. So, you know, look, we'll see what happens. I mean, look, bottom line is Boston didn't do shit in the, in the, in the exhibition games, which I still don't give credit to, but you're also relying on this team to turn it on after having months off. And I don't know if they're going to be in a position to do that for the stretch of this whole entire series. And if it's not this series, if they end up getting through Carolina, they're going to run into some serious roadblocks, which we already covered. The Islanders, for example, they have to get through them in the East at some point. And, you know, the way Columbus could bounce back or the Lightning get through, and then you're talking about a red-hot Canadians team, too. So uh, there's not a lot of sunny days ahead for the Boston Bruins, whether it's in this series or beyond. Oof, dude, there's, we're still too early into the first round to actually know and see what kind of a direction it's going to be in because we've seen things change like by the drop of a hat so far in these playoffs. I think that, you know what, we've been seeing some excellent hockey. Excellent hockey so far, very entertaining and everything. But as far as the Eastern Conference is concerned, dude, there is so many infinite possibilities. Like even for tonight, the Canadians are going to be playing game three against the Flyers. Flyers, they were looking for anything to jump them. I honestly think that you're going to see the best game of the series, especially from Philadelphia. Uh, they need to find their ball. They really do. They, they need to find something. And I think that it came in the form of their uh, young player, Oscar Lindholm and everything, who was uh, suffering from bone cancer. And then he had um, he was taking treatment. Anyway, long story short, he made his way back onto the ice today for practice for the first time in uh, in weeks. So this is something that, you know, we're talking about sparking a team, kind of like with the Canadians with Claude Julien. This could probably give them the shot in the arm that they're looking for because they have been looking lax and lazy and just going through the motions, and that was evidence in the last game. So for the Canadians and the Flyers, as much as the Canadians are playing really well and red-hot hockey, I still think that this is going to go seven games, and I really do not know where this is going to go. But regardless, if the Canadians keep up the tempo, they could steal one. They really could. But, uh, yeah, that's it. On the Western side, we're pretty much seeing a lot of what we would expect from the Vegas Golden Knights against the Chicago Blackhawks. Any surprises on your end with uh, Vegas so far in the first three games? 
None whatsoever. I told you they were going to be a powerhouse, and they've proven that. I mean, they they are on a rampage, man. And it's not showing. It's not saying much against a team like Chicago, which we both agreed had no business being there. Um, but they're going to close it out, if not tonight, then definitely in Game Five. And uh, I think that Vegas. Uh, <laughs> say what you want about that team; they are a force to be reckoned with, and you uh-huh. know, they have some. They have some very serious. They have a great goaltender, and they have a great backup goaltender. And that, I mean, they can rely on that regardless. But their firepower is just. It's unmatched so far in this little bubble. And we'll see what, what, what happens after this round, but I think that they're going to be a force to be reckoned with out West and that teams are going to have to start realizing that this is, this is not a, this isn't a joke. This isn't a fluke. This is a good fucking team and it has been since its birth. You structurally sound from top to bottom. They are so good. Max Pacioretty almost got himself his patented empty netter in the playoffs, man. He was that close. His first game back and everything, playing the playoff hockey now with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, dude, yeah, Marc-Andre Fleury, he came in in place of Robin Leonard and everything, and he was TikTok, man. He was sharp as a board. Granted, on that one lone goal that he gave up, man, right through the armpit. But regardless, man, he was cool, calm, collected. Defensively, dude, they are so, they are so structurally sound. I was watching the game yesterday. And, man, Chicago, it's just like, yeah, you can see that. They know where they need to be, but they're just a step behind. Like, that's it. Vegas is locked in, man. And, like, the deeper they go, the more exciting the hockey is going to get. Switching over now to, like, Carolina and Arizona. Dude, I had no idea that Arizona was going to pull up that game yesterday, to be honest with you. I don't know if you had a chance. Colorado, Arizona. Yeah, and, listen, I think that, you know, we, we, we both agreed that Colorado was another powerhouse in this tournament. Um, based on what we know and what they've accomplished during the regular season and what we saw from them in the exhibition round. Um, but again, you're talking about a team like Arizona, similar to Montreal and I guess similar to the Islanders. Who gives a fuck? Look, this is a diff, this is a second breath of life. Let's just go out there and play some fucking hockey and have some fun. And we're seeing yeah. evidence of, of, of the results of that. I think, you know what? Arizona really took advantage of the matchups and especially they were like drawing in as the home team. So I really think that they were kind of relying on that. And you know what? Fortune favored the Bulls. They went with it, and it worked in their favor. They got some good. They got some. They got a couple of lucky ones and stuff like that. But still, at the end of the day, that's what you need in playoffs, especially to, you know, come within one to tie the series. At least there, it gives Colorado at least pause to think about it. But I think that Colorado is going to come back and make it three games to one afterwards. That was the other. That was in Calgary. There's Colorado is still in control of that. That 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 series anyway. So, I mean, we'll see how it all ends up playing out, but um, I, I still have Colorado as my pick. I would love to see Arizona keep keep the foot on the gas and press it a little bit, but um, I still think Colorado is in complete control of that, that series. All right. Dallas Calgary, they're still playing? They're still playing uh, halfway through the first overtime. It's 4-4. Um, again, I think we chalk this up as, you know, one of those who gives a shit kind of series, and let's just see who comes out on the other side. Um, you know, I'm kind of happy to see Calgary, you know, pulling through as the, as the lower seeded team, quote unquote. Um, I don't know what, what value Dallas has. Obviously I like Pavelski. I think that what he brought to the Sharks all those years is, you know, needs to get rewarded in some, some fashion, but, um, I also like Calgary. I think they're an exciting team. They're, they're pretty young team. And, you know, again, it, it, it's a matter of depth for me in this type of bubble. How long can these guys keep their sanity in the same fucking hotel rooms 
in the same arenas, in the same locker. I mean, you know, Calgary has to walk into Edmonton's locker room every day. That must suck. Um, we got to walk into Toronto's locker room every day. Yeah, well, I mean, the same thing on the other side, right? But, you know, a lot of mental demons, I guess, have to be put to rest. But you're, you, we're also talking about three games or now four-plus games into the, the first uh, series. You know, this is only the beginning, man. They have to endure this throughout the rest of the playoffs. And I don't know if Calgary is a team that can sustain the firepower that a Colorado or a a Vegas team could bring. And I told you at the beginning of this, I think Vegas is going to be my pick out of the bubble. Um, Will it be against Colorado? Maybe. I mean, it depends. But I think that this Calgary series is going to be dependent on which way the puck falls in this this game. Um, I think that if this turns into a best of three, I'm going to flip a coin. If Calgary pulls this one out, then I think they have this one pretty much locked up. I don't know, man. Like, uh, it's a, it's a tough as nail series, but you're looking for one of those teams to like catch on fire, you know, kind of like what the Canadians are doing and they're just playing red hot hockey. But over in the West, you can't discredit, like, even though Vegas is playing the way that we expect out of Vegas, there is one team that is like playing above expectations right now. And that's the Vancouver Canucks, man. Bo Horvat, uh, the captain for their, their team, he found a different gear. And honestly, it seems like Vancouver is responding to their captain right now. And this seems like a team that could cause some teams some problems. So, like, there's, there, you really can't, like, zone in and say there's going to be one particular team that is going to go deep, that is going to do it. I know at the beginning, before we actually saw the puck drop, I picked Boston and Colorado and everything. I'm not even sure about that anymore. You pick Vegas, you pick Vegas and, you know, Vegas seems like a, you know, like the closest pick to a team that can make it all the way to the finals uh, right now. And who's your Eastern Conference pick again? Washington. It was Washington. I had yeah. a, a rematch of the, the the finals from a couple of years ago. And dude, I'm eating that one. You know, with 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 both fists at this point. I mean, but you know, this is this is this is the beauty of sports, right? Yeah. We sit here and we we pretend we know what the fuck we're talking about <laughs> for, for an hour, and we shoot the shit with each other. And at the end of the day, the game still has to be played. And, you know, I'm excited to see Vegas still be in the picture, but Washington completely shit the bed. We talked about that earlier, and I don't see them bouncing back at all. And, you know, we're about to lose the defending Stanley Cup champion. And, you know, let's let's think about this for a second. When was the last time there was a repeat cup? The last time there was a uh, the last time there was a back to back champion was Pittsburgh 2016 and 2017. Uh, Yeah. okay. before that. However, I mean, we're talking a very staggered uh, victory between the Kings and the Blackhawks for four years. Kings, uh-huh. Blackhawks, Kings, Blackhawks. Um, but before that, I mean, shit, dude, I think you're right. It was the Red Wings back in the 90s. Yeah, that's it. So it wasn't so much Nick Lindstrom. It was like your Iserman and Fedorov and uh, Shanahan and Chris Osgood and Mike Vernon and, uh, and everything and all the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, and the, those, the Scotty Bowman era. Scotty Bowman era, dude, those, those Detroit teams, like, and from that era leading into not recently, they, that Detroit team made the playoffs every single year up until like, what was it? 2017 or 2018? One of the most yeah. remarkable feats in all of sports. Don't uh, talk about that. That's, that's a damn shame. Like we were talking about like from like 1992 up until like 2016, 2017. That is phenomenal, dude. Unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah. to have that, that, that consistency of, you know, this is playoff town and this is hockey town. And that's what they pride themselves in. And, 
And, you know, look, they, they've had monster teams over the years and, you know, an element of hockey is kind of missing when, with them not being in the picture over the last few years. But, um, I think that they'll bounce back at some point. They'll, they'll, they'll relight that fire of success. And I, I think that there's certain teams in all sports that have some sort of, a some sort of, a um, ascent of historical success. I mean, you see it in football with the Steelers. Uh, the way they treat their coaches and, you know, in a revolving door world we live in, they've, they, they don't do that with their coaches. They never have. And they, they've, they have a, a, a plethora of success to back that with. And, you know, you see that, you see that with the Yankees, you see that with all these other teams that really have prestigious, um, mind states with their, with their franchises. And I think the Red Wings are a part of that. They're just going through a little bit of a hiccup right now, but, I don't think hockey is is truly hockey until we see the Red Wings back in the playoffs. Well, you know what? It's, uh, they're going through their lull period. Like here was here was a team that you automatically knew based on the talent and how they drafted, and you know then they moved on from um, from their general manager of so many years. Uh, fuck, I always forget his name. He's not the GM over in Edmonton right now. But uh, listen, you know, built a solid contender, but also like building a consistent playoff performing team takes away draft picks, takes away prospects, especially when you're loading up. And then you get to a point where, oh boy, okay, we really don't have anything left in the cupboard and our older guys right now are not finding the success and we're not really in a position right now to compete for the playoffs. That's when you just hold back and you basically say, okay, we got to blow it up. We got to start over again and everything. And if it comes at, you know, you know, breaking a record of so many years of 20 to 25 years of making the playoffs, at the end of the day, it's nice to have a, you know, record of this magnitude. And it is something special. It really is. But the most important thing is winning the cup. So if it means right. that, you're right. you know, Listen, you take- I think that no matter what, whether you appreciate hockey or you don't, I mean, looking at it as an original six team um, that has had that type of success, because not all original six teams have had any success of that magnitude, other than obviously the Canadians who won it more than any other team. But you're looking like you're looking at a historical hockey club in 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 the Detroit Red Wings, and I think that one of their bigger uh, challenges that they've had to overcome, and they haven't had success really since, is when they they switched from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference. And you know, let's not forget some of the most um, valued rivalries of that team in our lifetime revolved around teams like Colorado and, and Detroit that faced each other every year. It felt like in the playoffs and the goalie fights that would, that would ensue from those series. I mean, it was just, we're never going to see that again. And it's, it's just because they haven't had the opportunity to have those playoff series in the Eastern conference where they can find those new rivals again. Yeah. You know, it's, you're right. You know, like uh, we kind of seen the uh, spiral downward of the Detroit Red Wings when they made the switch over. We, we, we've seen it in the past where like a team like Toronto that started in the West and then they made their way over to the East when they did the realignment and stuff like that. You know, like they had a, uh, a, a big rivalry with uh, Detroit back in the day and everything, especially in the 90s and stuff like that uh, against St. Louis against uh against Vancouver you know like they they had some tough games back then but you know like what what makes a rivalry Mike you know what makes a really true great rivalry a rivalry is great when both teams find success where both teams play each other in the playoffs you know when the stakes are higher and stuff and Detroit really hasn't like found that yet you know because they need to find their success and they really 
you know, they, they've had some games and some battles with, you know, the Habs and the Senators and stuff like that. But even so, like the Habs and the Senators over the last few years are trying to find their own way too. So like, yeah, you really need to latch on to that rival, the one that's going to bring the most out of you. And that's when we're going to see that exciting hockey afterwards. So it's kind of like, okay, we're just, you know, Detroit currently right now, it's, it's a parabola, Mike. You know, same thing with the Habs. You know, they go through their ups and their downs and everything. I will give credit to, to Detroit for, you know, making the playoffs all the way stemming from the 90s into like well into the 2000s, like taking into account the modern era for you to do something like that. That's fucking impressive. It really is. It's kind of like uh, it boils. It, it it brings up the same question that we bring up time and time again. What have you done for me lately? And the answer is still pending for them. And they haven't done shit lately. And I think they have a lot of things, a lot of pieces left to 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 be figured out in that in that front office and on that bench. And you know who knows? Maybe this extended off season for them because let's not forget a lot of those types of teams haven't played since March, and they're not going to play again until December. So they have an extended off season more so than anybody that was in the bubble. And, you know, are they going to be able to find their legs? Are they going to be able to regroup and really strategize uh, going forward in whatever the next season is going to look like, however many games it is, however, however it's structured, um, you know, who knows? It's going to be, it, it's going to be a, a, one of those let's, let's wait and see type moments. Like in the modern era now with all these teams, now 32 and everything, it's going to get increasingly difficult, but hopefully all of them find their groove one season and they all happen to be there. And we see some of these beautiful matchups to uh, continue on the history. That would be nice. Yeah. Well, speaking of history, Calgary's history in this game, Dallas just won. <laughs> yeah. Lindbergh cool. overtime goal, like three minutes left, I think, in the first overtime. Ah, netted shit. from the blue line. That's so, series now. Now we've got a series, man. Look. Again, Dallas is also one of those teams that, you know, why not? Fuck it. They, yeah, they're, not getting, they're not in the spotlight. This is, again, a series where we don't give a shit about. So, you know, let them just do their thing and, and make some waves. And if they, keep, if they keep winning games like this or if they can win games like this throughout this bubble, I mean, shit, dude, they can, they can easily ride a little momentum wave through, the, through, through each, each series victory. And this this one must hurt for Calgary though because they they lost this game with 11 seconds to go uh, in the third period after a disallowed goal they had a second breath of life to seal the victory Dallas tied it with 11 seconds and then then capped off the victory with overtime good for them yeah that's gonna hurt Calgary big time especially going into the next game because you don't want a loss like that to linger and I think they're not playing tomorrow they're playing on Tuesday correct I believe so yeah. That's it. Like, honestly, for a game like that, losing in that fashion, you want to, like, play the next day. You really do. Just to get it over with and just, like, okay, I want to forget about it. Now they're going to be forced to think about it. Yeah, you don't want to lose something like that. But this is the excitement of hockey, my man. Hey, listen, dude, again, welcome to playoff hockey. Cheers to that. I'm going to – I'm going to hit pause on this one. We did a, we, we covered a shit ton in, in a very short period of time and we can go on and on and on forever about this, but I think that there's still so much of this chapter left to be written and I, I think we should let it play out, let it play itself out for a little bit and, you know, we'll reconvene. We'll, we'll, we'll have another session at some point this week and we'll, we'll reevaluate exactly where things are, which teams are still fighting in this round and which ones are sitting happy moving on. So I wish you all the best tonight. I hope your team falls flat on its face and <laughs> because you suck and your team suck. 
Uh, I'm going to sit back and, and gloat about my number one pick overall and see what we can get for it based on our discussion. I'm going to do a little bit more digging around and see what Ottawa has to offer. And we'll see how it all ends up. Uh, till then, enjoy the games. Hockey is back. Playoff hockey is back. And uh, till then, we'll talk, everybody. Have a good one.